Guten Morgen. Guten Morgen. Wie geht's? Heute Morgen wollen wir uh, über Reden in Zuken sprechen. Uh, wir werden 1. Korinther 14 zu Helsen nehmen. Uh, es ist schon, euch werden hier zu sein. Wir steht irgendjemand, was ich sage? What I just said was, uh, good morning. This morning we're going to be talking about speaking in tongues. We're going to be helped by 1 Corinthians 14. It is very good to be here with you this morning. Does anyone understand what I'm saying? Most of you had no idea what I was saying, even those of you who speak German <laughs> probably had uh, considerable difficulty sorting out uh, the product of my year of college German. But if I had gone ahead and, and finished the sermon in German, uh, it may have been a wonderful sermon, it may have had searing and profound insights, it may have done me enormous good putting it together and preparing, but it would have done you no good at all. That really is the heart of Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 14. When he's talking about speaking in tongues, he says if we do that when we're gathered together, it really isn't going to do most people much good at all. Over the last 25 years, no issue has caused more confusion and hurt, and division within the body of Christ in the issue of speaking in tongues. And in a congregation this size, there are many of you who feel passionately on this issue, because many of you have been hurt profoundly. And if I were to ask you to get up and to share some of your experience, some of you would get up and you would tell how uh, confusing and painful it was for you when someone who advocated the speaking in tongues made you feel like a second-class Christian, or that there was something not quite valid about your relationship with God because you didn't speak in tongues. And you tell about the pain and the horror of seeing fellowships and churches you were involved with torn apart by these people. However, others would get up, and they would share just the, 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 uh, the wonder, the delight in this, this precious experience with God and how that has enriched their walk with God. And they would tell of the pain and the confusion they experienced as people whom they loved uh, would tell them that this, this sweet experience was from the devil. And the pain they experienced as people whom they loved rejected them and pushed them out of their fellowship simply because they spoke in tongues. See, there's been a lot of hurt. And there are people here in our congregation who've been on both sides of that hurt. So it's my desire this morning that as we spend time in God's Word that God would use that to bring healing to those of you who have been hurt. And together we would come to a greater understanding of His Word and of His plan and that we would grow in our love for each other. Whenever... Uh, People usually teach on this topic. They begin by saying, 
that we must be careful not to base our understanding of tongues on experience, but base it on the Word of God. And I want you to know that I fully embrace that statement. However, it's important that we realize that our experience profoundly affects the way we understand the Word of God. And if we fail to take that into account, what we end up doing is becoming convinced that we are objective and purely logical, while those who disagree with us are very subjective and confused and and prejudiced and maybe a little twisted. And, and, And that in and of itself inhibits our ability to trust each other and to embrace each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the same body with different experiences and perspectives than we have. So before I get into telling you what uh, I believe these, this passage has to say, what, how I understand this passage, let me share with you a little of my own experience. And I do that because I think it will help you understand where I'm coming from, and I think it will help you, I hope it will help you process what I have to say. I grew up in an anti-charismatic church during a period of time when the controversy over speaking in tongues was, was reaching its height. And there was a lot of fear of what seemed like a very dangerous phenomenon. It was splitting churches all over the place. There was a lot of prejudice against people who were involved in this movement. Then in uh, about 1972, about six months after I had given um, control of my life over to God, I was studying in Israel, and there I came into contact with a group of of underground uh, churches, uh, uh, believing Jews. At at that time, and I think still today, uh, uh, Jewish converts to Christianity were very much persecuted. So they met in secret, in homes, different places. And what would happen during the service is somebody, uh, one of the teachers would stand up and begin instructing us. Uh, And he would be speaking to the maybe 20, 30 People were crowded into the living room, sitting on the floor, on the backs of couches, or wherever there was space. And after he taught for 40 minutes, an hour, sometimes longer, then he would invite anybody that wanted to share a word from God to share it with the rest of us. And someone would stand up, and they would say something that sounded very much like a quote from a Bible verse somewhere. And somebody else would stand up, and they would say some things in words that I couldn't understand. And this would go on for about, oh, an hour or two. And then we would disperse a couple at a time until everyone was gone. Well, one evening, as we were coming to the end of one of these services, one of the teachers got up and he said, if there's anyone here who has not received the filling of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues, please stay around and we'll share that with you afterwards. I um, had been enjoying my intimacy with God, a very close relationship with God for the last six months, but I had never spoken in tongues, so I waited around. And for the next half hour, several people laid hands on me. They prayed with me. They encouraged me to begin uh, praising and worshiping freely with my voice. And so I did. But it always came out in English. It never came out in any other language. And so as I left there, very disappointed and sad, realizing I had disappointed these people as well, I began a very confusing, painful time in my relationship with God that lasted for several months. But eventually, through a lot of struggle, I came to realize that God is God. God is my God. 
And he has every right to choose to give me or not to give me whatever gift he wants. And that he will do that. He will make that choice out of his love and out of his goodness. And there's nothing at all sad about that. Well, then in 1975, when I was traveling in eastern Africa, I became very, very sick. Looking back, I think it was probably a case of severe food poisoning. But at the time, I was too sick and lost to have any idea what was going on. Some guys that I was traveling with, I hadn't, didn't know them before. I just met them while we were traveling. They took me to a hospital. And uh, what this hospital was, was really just a room maybe about half the size of this room. Just wide open room with people sitting all over the floor in just pain or sickness or there was injuries and illness just all over the place. And right in the middle of the room were a couple of beds with some portable screens around them. And that's where the doctor was. So they took me in there immediately. Doctor looked at me, gave me a couple of shots, gave me a little packet of pills and pushed me outside of the curtain. I couldn't walk. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, The guys that brought me there didn't know what to do with me. A missionary that I'd worked with in in, uh, southern Africa had given me the name and address of a friend of his that he wanted me to look up when I was in this city. So I took this piece of paper with the name and address, and I gave it to these guys. And they took me to this address, carried me to the front door of the apartment, knocked on the door, and an African man came. And as soon as he saw me, he led them upstairs. They put me in bed, and the guys that brought me there left. And this guy took care of me, often spoon-feeding me, Uh, just nursing me back to health for several days before he even knew who I was. This wasn't even the friend of the missionary I knew. This was the roommate of the friend. (laughs) The, The friend was gone. But still, this guy took care of me and loved me and nursed me for three days. And during the first couple of days when all I could do was sleep, every once in a while I'd wake up and I'd hear him singing and praying and praising in the room next door. Often it was in Swahili, which is his native language. But apparently, sometimes he was praising in tongues as well. Later, when I was strong enough to talk, he was finding out who I was and where I had come from. He told me that he had been scared that uh, the authorities would find a dead white man in his apartment that he couldn't explain. He had no idea where this guy came from. But he also asked me with real fear in his voice, if I had heard him next door. Because he was afraid that if I had heard him speaking in tongues next door, that I would reject him. You know, here's a guy who took me in and loved me and cared for me in the name of Jesus Christ simply because I was a brother in Christ. And he was actually afraid that if I knew he spoke in tongues, I would reject him. His experience of rejection and prejudice, even hatred, from other Christians and missionaries had been so great that he actually thought I couldn't accept him because he spoke in tongues. How incredible, how sad, heartbreaking. Well, since then, I still have never spoken in tongues. And quite frankly, I have some reservations about a lot that goes on today that's called speaking tongues. In tongues, but far more importantly, it is my delight to worship with brothers and sisters, men and women filled with the same Holy Spirit that I am, submitted to the same Lord that I am, worshiping the same God that I do, 
and who speak in tongues. See, we don't always agree on how we understand passages like this and other passages of Scripture. But when we disagree, we still disagree with love and respect. And I think that's exactly what Paul is wanting to see here in 1 Corinthians 14. In verse 1, he says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. They start off saying, follow the way of love. I don't like that translation. Literally, it is pursue love. Go after it. Chase it. I like to watch the TV show Cops. That's one of my weaknesses. That, uh, every week we watch Cops, whether the kids want to or not. <laughs> and when the cops are chasing someone... When they're pursuing someone, their attention is fixed. Wherever the object of their pursuit goes, so does their attention, so does their focus, so does their direction. See, and that's the way we should go after loving. There's a lot of important things in life, very important, honestly important, but our attention needs to remain fixed on loving. Spiritual gifts are important, they're desirable. But really, they are just the God-given means to love effectively. They aren't the thing itself. They're just the way that God has given us to be able to express love effectively. This brings up a couple of, uh, I think, very important points. Spiritual gifts are not the focus, nor are they the index or indicator of one's spiritual life, one's spiritual maturity. I think this is important. The, uh, one of the problems that has been identified with the charismatic movement, at least in the past, is a focus on spiritual, spiritual gifts, especially the gift of speaking in tongues, as an indicator of a level of maturity, a a, a Christian experience that's on a higher plane, or or maybe just a validation of one's Christian experience. People will say, I was unsure of my relationship with God until I spoke in tongues, and now I I, I know it's authentic. That's a very dangerous way of looking at spiritual gifts. One, a way that Scripture is very clear is not right. In Matthew 7, Jesus says... Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will say to them, I never knew you. Get away from me. See, Jesus is very clear. It is the fruit, not the gifts that indicate the level of someone's relationship with God, their their, their maturity, the genuineness of their spiritual walk. I think this helps to clear up a lot of things. You see, speaking in tongues is no index of maturity. In fact, it's not even an indicator that somebody is a believer. There are many other religions and cults that practice speaking in tongues. In Paul's day, the oracle at Delphi spoke in tongues. Plato spoke of, uh, wrote of people speaking in tongues. Most of the mystery cults practiced speaking in tongues. 
And in our day, there are several uh, sects of Islam that practice speaking in tongues. Hindus speak in tongues. Uh, the Way International, a cult that denies the deity of our Lord, one of their main distinctives is speaking in tongues. You see, speaking in tongues doesn't indicate anything about spiritual maturity or even whether someone is a believer or not. But listen to this. Neither does being an effective preacher or an evangelist. And I think this clears up a lot of things. You know, how often we hear of somebody with this enormous ministry leading hundreds to Christ, and we find out that all along they've been living in immorality. And we go, how could that be? Look how gifted that person is. Look how effective their ministry is. How could that possibly be? And realize these people are confused themselves. They're saying, man, I must be okay. Look at how effective I am. Look at all my gifts. I must be okay. God's using me. But you see, gifts are not the indicator. God can use anyone He wants to, in any way He wants to, at any time He wants to. In the Old Testament, God used Cyrus, who wasn't a believer. He used Balaam, a wicked prophet, a prophet that was corrupt, who was in no way one of God's people. But God spoke through him. God spoke through Balaam's donkey. God can speak through anyone. But the true demonstration, indicator, the index of spiritual maturity is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit demonstrates the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in a changed life. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, these show a relationship with our Lord because they reflect His character. That's the focus for us. This leads to another issue concerning a focus on tongues or any gift as, as the key to spiritual growth. When we start to look at any particular gift or any particular experience as the key, we become confused. And once we've received that gift or had that experience, we can think that we have arrived. Where if we pursue love, we are constantly confronted with our inadequacy. We are constantly confronted with our need. Our, our need for wisdom to know what the loving thing to do is. And our need for fortitude to choose it when we know. And our need for strength and for courage to carry it out. In short, we're constantly confronted with our dependence on Jesus. And as we learn to walk in that dependence, trusting Him, learning from His Word, engaged with Him, He begins to love through us. And we come to know Him as He really is. That's what sanctification is all about. That's what Christian maturity is all about. Knowing Him. Trusting Him. Letting Him live His life and His love out through us. That's not an event. It's not an experience. It is a day-to-day walk with Him. Facing our inadequacy and His adequacy, moment by moment. And this happens as we pursue love. As we make that our ambition. 
But Paul also told us to desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. He said, don't go after them, don't pursue them, but desire them. Why? Well, because spiritual gifts are the God-given means by which we love people effectively. And prophecy happens to be one of the more effective ways to love people. That's what he goes on to explain. He compares speaking in tongues and prophecy and says, man, choose prophecy. It's the, re- it's, it's the most effective and helpful way you can love people. Let me read real fast, just from verse 2 all the way to verse 20. And listen, that's exactly what Paul is doing here. For everyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know What tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker. And he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in tongues should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can, any, or how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you're saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. See, Paul's point is very simple. Basically, he says, speaking in tongues may be great. It may be a wonderful experience. But it doesn't do anybody else any good. And that's what love is all about. Love doesn't focus on our own edification, our own need. It focuses on building others up. And he says prophecy is a very effective way to do that. Verse 12, again, he says, Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. In verse 19, In the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So that's Paul's point. Prophecy is, a, is the better way to love people when you're gathered. 
That leads us to the thorny problem of defining our terms, what we're talking about, actually. I've been to four seminars on uh, spiritual gifts. During the 70s, they were very popular. And I've read five commentaries on this particular passage. And in every case, the definition that the person who put on the seminar or the writer of the commentary came up for, for the gifts that are being talked about in this passage, every case they were different. So from the outset, we've got to realize that spirit-filled, godly men and women come to different conclusions about what these words mean. And the, the evidence is not definitive. But when it comes to tongues, some will argue that this is specifically and only known human languages, like in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the, the, the people there that were gathered spoke in languages that others could understand, others from other parts of the world. Well, other, some will argue that that's true, but it could also include personal languages that, that don't conform to the normal uh, uh, linguistic conventions that human language uh, is ruled by. My uh, personal opinion, I lean toward understanding this as known human languages, but I don't want to get hung up here with my brothers and sisters who understand it differently, because to focus on this will miss Paul's main point. When it comes to prophecy, I come from a tradition that always has interpreted the term prophecy to speak of the exposition of Scripture, the explaining of God's Word. John Calvin defined it, the particular gift of explaining revelation. Barclay uh, said it was not so much foretelling as forth-telling. In other words, predicting the future really isn't at the heart of the idea of prophecy as much as it is, is explaining and telling people what God has said. Another helpful uh, definition that I read was applying the Word of God to particular lives and situations. Sometimes that word comes directly. Other times it is proclaiming what God has said in Scripture. But again, at this point, I don't want to start an argument in your head about what these words mean. I don't want to contradict the last person you heard that taught you, or the last seminar you went to, or the last commentary you read. I don't want to get distracted onto that point because I don't want to distract from Paul's main point. Hopefully next week, David, who is far more scholarly on these kinds of things, can set you right and tell you what it really means. But for now, what I would like to do is, is to, to focus on what we do know. The gift of prophecy, whatever, however we take it, is one of those gifts that speaks in such a way that we can understand. It affects our thinking. It affects our understanding of who God is and what He has said. In verse 6, Paul mentions a couple other gifts. One was the, uh, the word of revelation, which I think is the gift that God gave to the apostles who gave us the New Testament, something they didn't have in those days. But he also refers to the word of knowledge and of instruction. See, all of these, these gifts, no matter how you take them, have to do with what Paul refers to as intelligible words. 
words that we can understand. And all of these gifts revolve around helping people understand what God has said. That's why we put such emphasis when we gather on Sundays to the teaching of the Word and the explaining it and the figuring it out together. That's why our songs, we want to have a clear biblical content. That's why we have growth groups and women's studies where people gather together to try to understand and help apply the Word to their lives, their situations and circumstances. That's why we encourage people to minister the Word to each other, to to explain what you're learning from God's Word, to help your friends and and others you know learn how to, to deal with the circumstances of their lives. See, all of these things focus on the same thing, God's Word, and have the same effects to strengthen and and to encourage and to comfort. This is important because the way we grow spiritually is what Scripture calls feeding on the Word. God's Word is our spiritual food. It's the means that He uses to strengthen us and to stabilize us and to renew our thinking so we begin to see things as He does and understand life as as it really is. The word that Paul used there in verse 3 for strengthen really speaks of building a house, laying a solid foundation so that the, the, the storms of life won't knock it over. And the huffing and puffing of the big bad wolf won't cause our lives to collapse. And the term he uses for encouragement talks uh, of the guidance and the fortitude that's provided along the way. You see, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to direct us and to open our eyes to where and what He wants us to be doing and to give us the courage to live in a way that brings honor to our Lord. And the word for comfort speaks of of God's emotional empathy with us. And it's as we see God in His Word that we come to realize how much He loves us. How He feels with us when we are going through painful and, and, and confusing times. How much He really cares. So, the, the, the heart of what we're saying here is that the deepest needs that we as people have are for this kind of strengthening, for this kind of encouragement, this guidance and this fortitude, for this kind of comfort. And it's those gifts that minister to the Word that are the most effective, the most helpful in accomplishing that, the most loving. So that's the essence of Paul's argument. Don't focus on, don't desire the gifts that just, that merely build you up and are merely enjoyable and profitable for you. Focus on the gifts that will build everyone up and cause everyone to grow and stabilize in their walk with God. Tongues may be good, but prophecy is more effective. Then Paul administers a gentle rebuke there in verse 20. He says, Stop thinking like children. So in some ways it's good to be childlike. The Bible encourages us to be childlike when it comes to evil. It's good to be innocent and inexperienced. 
That's valuable. But when it comes to choosing what's healthy and good for you, be adults. Children will always choose the amusing over the useful. My daughter will always choose ice cream over a good meal or candy over a good meal. It's because candy is more fun. Candy is more exciting. And there's nothing wrong with candy in its place. But it's good food that's going to sustain her. And Paul is not putting tongues down. It's just not the meat of life that the Word is. Paul then shifts gears and he moves on to the next argument regarding uh, tongues. And this one has to do with the way speaking in tongues in public affects our evangelistic impact. In other words, he's concerned how it will affect outsiders and unbelievers if they see people speaking in tongues a lot in public. He starts this discussion by uh, quoting Isaiah 28. Turn back there with me real quick. I like this passage. Isaiah 28, starting with verse 10. Now let me read verse 10 to you, but let me read it to you in Hebrew. Isaiah says, Isaiah 28, verse 10. Ki tzav Tzav letzav, kav lekav, kav lekav. That sounds kind of, I mean, even if you don't know Hebrew, that sounds kind of like the same thing being said over and over, kind of nonsense. Quite honestly, the translators do their best to find some meaning in those words, but those aren't regular Hebrew words. It is gibberish, or maybe baby talk. What it probably is, is the way that the Assyrian language sounded like to Jews who did not speak Assyrian. It's kind of like if I were to try to tell you how Chinese sounds, if I don't speak Chinese, I'd say Kong Wong Chong or something like that. Those are just the sounds. It makes no sense at all. It's just what the sounds sound like. You see, God was about to bring the Assyrians in and take over Israel. Because Israel would not listen to God. And he was going to use the Assyrians to get their attention so they would start listening. Isaiah says in verse 11, Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. And what he says is verse 12, This is the resting place. Let the weary rest. This is the place of repose. But they would not listen. So then the word of the Lord came to them, or coming to them, will become Kong-Wong-Chong. You see, Isaiah's point is God wanted to tell his people, the Jews, where to find rest. And they wouldn't listen. And so it just sounded like gibberish to them. And so God was going to speak to them through people of another language the Assyrians, to get their attention, to open their ears, to tell them where to find rest. And Paul is saying, man, that's exactly what's happening in his day. See, God is trying to tell his people, the Jews, where to find rest in Jesus. But it makes no sense to them. 
Their ears are shut to it. And so God speaks to them with, from, with people from other, other uh, languages, people from all around the Mediterranean, all around uh, Africa and, and Europe and, and uh, Western Asia. And what Paul is, is suggesting is that the Jews who knew Isaiah, this should be a sign. This should tip them off. Okay, this is exactly what was going on in Isaiah's time. This should open my ears. This should cause me to listen. It should be a sign to listen. Okay, back in 1 Corinthians, verse 21. Through men of strange tongues and through lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. You see, for Jews who had the book of Isaiah and who knew the book of Isaiah, tongues should have been a sign, a sign to listen. But for other unbelievers, people, uh, the Greeks and others, if they heard a room full of people speaking in tongues, they would just think these people are nuts. Verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, Will they not say that you're out of your mind? The term that, that is translated in NIV, some who do not understand, is really just one word, idiotes. It, it refers to what they used to call inquirers. These were people who would come to church every Sunday. They were very interested. They couldn't be called outsiders because they're part of the congregation. They're there every week. But they had not yet come to the place where they had trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They had not yet made the decision to give control of their life completely over to God. See, there are many within this congregation who fit that description. And Paul is very anxious that we not freak these people out that we not make this an uncomfortable, a weird place for them. But then he goes on to say what he wants is for these people to hear God's Word explained and applied to life in such a way that it penetrates their heart and exposes their heart and they fall to their knees and worship God. Verse 24 and 25. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everybody is prophesying... He will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. If you are here today as an inquirer, we do want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel comfortable here. But eventually and ultimately, we want you to hear God's word proclaimed here in such a way that it will open your eyes to your need for God, that you'll see that you are a sinner and that you're trapped in those sins. You cannot get out of those sins. And apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, you're lost eternally. Hell awaits you. And we want you to come to see that the secrets of your heart aren't really such big secrets after all. God knows them. God knows your deepest longings, your greatest desires. 
God knows those things in your life that are constantly attracting your energy and your attention. Things you know aren't what life is really about, but you can't get away from pursuing those things. God knows your secret sins. Quite honestly, the secrets of your heart aren't all that different than the secrets of the rest of our hearts. My deepest longings and desires are probably pretty similar to yours. And many of the things that you may find so alluring and attractive in life that you know aren't the thing that life is about are probably the same things that I find myself going after over and over again. And the sins that that, that are resident in your heart are probably not a lot different than the sins that, that, that I struggle with that again keep tripping me up over and over again. But God knows our hearts. And He loves me. And God knows your heart. And He loves you. That's why He sent Jesus Christ to die for you. The secrets of your heart are no big secrets to Him. He knows you. He loves you. And He is worthy of your worship. It is our prayer that as you hear God's Word explained and proclaimed, that eventually you will come to see your need and His love and you will fall to your knees. Give your life to Him without qualification or reservation. Uh, Our time is gone. Next week, David will finish the chapter. But let me just summarize what Paul has said so far. Basically, Paul has said... Speaking in tongues is great, but the real focus is love. Building each other up. And if you want to do that, the gifts that minister the Word are the most effective way to do that. So those are the gifts that we should, we should desire. The ones that build others up in love. Because those gifts that minister the Word are the gifts that equip us to live this life. And, and, and reveal to us who our God is. And when it comes to unbelievers, those gifts won't freak them out. Instead, those will, will open their heart to see their need in God's grace and bring them to worship Him. The focus, again, is love. Building each other up. Unfortunately, something that God has given to bring joy and edification has been used to tear us apart. Don't let that happen here. Don't have anything to do with it. Instead, keep your focus where it belongs. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Pursue love. Go after it. Focus on it. Don't let it get away. Let's pray. Lord, we do so often as we try to understand your word and understand your plans for us, become so consumed in the controversy that we lose sight of what's important.
Lord, I thank you for your word and how you call us back to what really is important on love, on dependence on you. Lord, we want to become a people that pursue love and in the process see our need for you, for your life in us, through us. So, Lord, we just ask that you would bring us together as a congregation, those who speak in tongues and those who don't, with the ability to respect, trust, and embrace each other, even as we disagree. Lord, make us a people that is characterized by the fruit of your Spirit, that we might demonstrate your life in us. We ask this, knowing that that's exactly what you desire for us. In your name we pray. Amen.